What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, the official podcast of MetalNexus.net, where you can get all your show reviews, photos, concert reviews, and oh my god, so much more. And with me, as always, and a believer in God, is so much more, Mr. Daniel Terry. How are you doing? Wow, that's just, wow, okay. That's my new intro. I thought it was good. How about you? <laughs> it's it's not inaccurate. I I am here. I'm doing well. I do believe in God. I mean, we we've got all the bases covered. I think. Yeah, you know, I I hit them all. I mean, everything I said was factual pieces of words that you can say. You're, you're not wrong. No, I'm not. Just remember that. I try to tell myself that every day. This episode's guest is Danny Warsnop. Yeah, this conversation was done a couple of weeks ago when Danny was uh, in the midst of uh, wrapping up actually his Shades of Blue album tour and. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. I think Danny is one of those people who has a bit of a, I don't know if legacy is the word I want to use, but he has kind of a, Dan, help me out here. What is the word I'm looking for? What is the phrase I'm looking for? He was in a band that a lot of people liked. Well, I mean, the, he still is in that band, but no, I'm uh, just kind of the, having a penchant for uh, being a dick. A lot of people think, you know, he's kind of arrogant and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's a, it's a common thing you read and see. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and I can relate to that in a big way. Uh, I totally understand. You know, the, the interesting thing is, though, is I think between, you know, I think we actually do really well with, with people like that. You know, people who, from the outside, you know, you hear a lot of people go like, oh, that guy's kind of a prick, he's standoffish, whatever. And I would say between, you know, Phil Labonte, Frankie Palmieri, you know, now Danny Warsnop, you know, we've, we've had some of these people that a lot of people think are very difficult to talk to and deal with, and they've been nothing but nice to us. Yeah, I mean, perfectly cordial. Um, I don't know, I think the, I think the Phil Abonte stuff is, like, way off base, some of the stuff that they say about him, because I've never seen him in an interview. Like, I don't know, I've, I've never really seen him say or do anything that, like, wasn't deserved. Speaking of, there was a, I was hanging out with my dad earlier today, and he showed me a music video for this band, and I was like, "Oh, I think I saw them at Sonic Temple." And I go, "Actually, no," because I, you know, I didn't think much of them, and I'm, I'm going to keep their name, you know, to myself because just whatever. But it's one of those things where I couldn't replace the band name. I was like, "Oh, I think I saw them at Sonic Temple Festival," and then I was like, "No, I actually saw them when I went to do this interview with so and so from this band," and like the show was piss poorly attended. And my friend was had seen them before on Chip Rock, so that'll kind of narrow it down a little bit potentially. But I didn't tell you the year, and there was no one there. There was no one buying merch. No one gave a fuck about the band, and they were being dicks. And you know, I made a Facebook post. It's like, oh, too bad your band's like just a bunch of fucking assholes to the one person who actually cares about you. Great to see how you treat your fans. And I know a handful of people in the industry reached out, and I told them who it was, and they're like, oh, they're they're always so nice. And I was like, yeah, when they know that someone is there, but I think it's more telling when you know things aren't going all that well or they don't know someone from media or just in general. But it's like if that's how you're going to treat the one person who actually wants to, to talk to you and, and get to know you as a – from a fan to a, a you know an artist or whatever, that's really shitty, and it's more telling of probably who you really are and how you really are to people and – I like told my dad, I was like, oh man, fuck these people. Like, and I told him the story and he was like, oh, and it like completely changed his whole mood on it. And then I was like, he goes, oh, well, I heard so-and-so was an asshole. I was like, no, I just like talked to them recently. I was like, no, they're pretty cool. Yeah. I think it just depends on the day and the circumstances that lead up to it. And some of it really depends on the interviewer too. Cause there's a lot of people 
out there interviewers that are just out to extract information from you that really that they didn't they have no business really asking like because i mean a lot of the times i know we always approach it and you know the listeners never hear this but we kind of go over it before we do the interview like hey can we talk about this if not that's fine you know what i mean like and and i think a lot of interviewers don't do that because maybe they only have 10 minutes or or five minutes or, or whatever it is to talk to this person and then they get like deeply personal or they ask a question that's just really off base and I mean, we've all been there. Like, I, I've definitely asked questions before to people that I'm like, "Oh, why did I say that?" Right? Or why did I why did I phrase it like that? So I think a lot of the times the problem is is that you know that unfortunately is much more headliney and and more clickbaity if they say something like that's my name really crazy. Yeah, clickbaity. Yeah, if they say anything crazy, you know, people are gonna want to hear that. But what you don't really see is everything leading up to that. It's kind of like when we were uh, interviewing, we did the interview with, uh, you know, Phil Anselmo and the illegals. And he was like, yeah, you know, there was a statement said, and that's all anybody ever focused on was that statement and didn't really focus on anything leading up to that. And, uh, and I think that's a pretty fair assessment. And I think that's how we end up with these points of view or these, we, we end up with this picture of a person that's really not that accurate because like, we've all had bad days. We all get mad when people get out of line with us. You know, we all kind of have that reaction. You can't expect somebody to ask you something deeply personal and then you not get upset about it because it's like a total stranger has no business like getting into get, getting into my personal stuff like that. Well, I think that's the weird thing about doing this is, you know, I, I just went back and, you know, I do listen back to our episodes after they're out and so forth so I can just kind of learn from them and be like, ah, I should have edited that or this didn't sound as good as it did when I was editing it. So like just kind of looking at it from an, an objectional perspective. But I was listening back to the Landon Tours one, and, you know, we've gotten some positive feedback on that and people being like, oh, I can't believe you had him enga- that engaged for that long, um, you know, because typically he kind of is more to himself. And, you know, it was kind of interesting thinking about that, like thinking about how, you know, we have been kind of fortunate to have a lot of people in a matter of, you know, hey, I'm so-and-so, and as I'm setting up something, so in a matter of, like, two to three minutes of setting up all my gear, or if it's not already set up, like, okay, and now we're going into me asking you questions about things. Like, I know more about you than you do about me. And that's that's very weird, because that doesn't happen in any other part of life. Like, you're not going to go to a random stranger and be like, so I saw on your Facebook, uh, and, you know, because that would just come across totally fucking weird. You're like, oh, no, I thought I had my Facebook post set to private. You're like, yeah, there's ways around that. Yeah. Oh, I, you added one of my fake accounts. <laughs> now, we might want to get into this more in the outro, but there is one thing that, oh, that does bother it. me, though. We're going to get and to that's, it. And that's the, that's the concept of like fans feeling like they're owed something. Oh, yeah. And uh, like I told Filibante the other day, or I don't know if that, that's posting before this or what, but... Uh, you know, I'm I'm definitely a fanboy. You know, he's like, oh, I didn't know people hated on In Flames, and I was like, no, 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 I love In Flames. I'm just a butthurt fanboy, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, so as a butthurt fanboy, I will have more to say after uh, after you, the listeners, get to hear uh, exactly how he feels about that. All right, so I guess that's a as good as any as a time to get into our conversation with Danny Warsnop, and we will talk to you all afterwards. <laughs> Thank you. 
So I had the pleasure of talking with Danny Warsnop, whose latest album, Shades of Blue, is out now via Sumerian Records. How are you doing on this last day of your uh, month-long tour supporting the record? I'm good. I'm doing I'm, I'm a very arduous task of counting money right now, so it's, it's a sad day for me. hate counting money. um you know i kind of wanted to know with this being the last day of the tour you actually were out for a full month um i always kind of find it surprising when when bands you know especially given the nature of you know you have a main band that you do and this is kind of a solo run you know you started the tour and i think it was about 10 days that you had the tour before the record was officially out and then you spent the last you know latter half of the record or last latter half of the month finishing it out with the record being out did you notice much of a, a difference in participation, for lack of a better word, uh, from the fans prior to the record coming out to when it actually had come out and people were more familiar with it? I mean, definitely, because, I mean, people know the song. Um, but I think I think people understood more of what this is after right. it came out. Yeah. I think, I think my last one, it was people, I think it was obvious that was me playing around, seeing what I'm capable of, just having fun, trying new things. This one, it's me going back to my roots. So I think with this one, people were kind of like, "Oh, this isn't the thing he's he's messing around with. Like this is this is a real thing for him. This is the real deal," which it is. Like I think this stopped being like just an entertaining thing and being like, "Oh, this is like a an actual thing that he is doing." No, most assuredly, and I. It was kind of funny because in listening to the first record, Long Road Home, to this one, there's obviously similarities between the two, but I would say there's a lot more contrasts uh, in it. And I think it definitely speaks to what you were saying, kind of being more sure of what you the intent was behind this record. But kind of in listening to it, I kind of got really strong... It was funny, until I saw an interview that you had posted like earlier this morning, I was like, ah, see, there it is. I, I was catching it, but I got like wrong, really strong, like Chris Robinson, Black Crows kind of vibes, and then someone who actually I found out wrote on the record, which is Chris Stapleton, I kind of got this new, this new old kind of country, bluesy, soulful kind of vibe going from it, and it kind of made me wonder, you know, with, with Long Road Home kind of sounding the way it did, how long did it take for this record to kind of find its sound? It was pretty quick. I think I think I knew going in that I wanted to be more true to myself and more honest with what I was creating. Um, and I wanted to go back to where I started. I was doing this for longer than I've been in National Alexandria today before National Alexandria started. So this was kind of me having a chance to go back to the beginning. Do you feel like there is a, an example on this new record of something that you were able to do on on Shades of Blue that you were not able to do on Long Road Home? Play guitar. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Purely from an ability standpoint. <laughs> you know, it is kind of funny you, you bring that up because something in listening to this record, I noticed that a lot of it seems to be acoustic guitar-based or piano-driven, and it kind of made me wonder, was there ever an intention to do more of a, an acoustic or bare-bones album? Yeah, my initial thought, and when I was writing, was this is pretty much going to be acoustic, okay, with some like with with some blues lead guitar, and then the more we dug into the album, the more the electric guitar came to the front, and I mean, pretty much most of what I'm writing now for next go round is all electric, and it's just digging really deep and hard into the blues. When, you know, you've said countless times that, you know, this isn't a country record, this isn't, you know, you just want it to be more of an experience uh, from start to finish, which I, I absolutely think it is. I was trying to think, though, and, and I and I don't know how old you are, I, I know a quick Google would tell me, but, you know, I'm in my mid-30s, and asking kind of missed me, like, I'm not the demographic for asking, 
But in kind of looking at this record, it reminds me a lot of the stuff my parents grew up listening to. You know, like I hear a little bit of, you know, like I said, like some Black Crows. I hear some Rod Stewart kind of faces, early Rod Stewart stuff in this at times. And I hear a lot of people that Stay I... Stay With Me is one of my favorite songs ever. That's a great song. Um, but it's one of those things for me where I hear a lot of what I grew up listening to. And so when kind of looking at it from that perspective, it kind of makes me go, who is this record for? And did you have any issues kind of in the the marking of this record because this isn't for fans of asking although it can be but i just don't know if the demographic of asking would really appreciate this and understand where it's coming from this album was made for me and nobody else <laughs> the same the same but honestly the same as most things i do i don't make asking Alexandria for the fans i don't make a long road home for the fans i don't make this for the fans i won't make the next one for the fans i'll probably never make an album for the fans I think that's when artists start becoming very disingenuous and um, like you can, it, it, it becomes contrived because they're writing something that isn't them anymore. They're writing something to appease people who have probably a different taste in music. I've just been very fortunate that I make music for me that I love, that I'm passionate about, and I'm fortunate that people dig it. It's funny you say that because I saw a couple of comments, and I don't remember if you m- answered this in your Facebook Live Q&A thing. Um, but someone had kind of, there are a lot of shitty trolls on the internet (laughs) and I ended up seeing somebody make a comment about like, Oh, you'll suck the dick of whatever trend you think can add more fame to your career or whatever. But adversely you had made a comment, uh, you know, about, you know, Rod Stewart being an influence of yours. You know, you don't see bands, people making music like Aerosmith, like a lot of these classic rock bands that are still out there doing it today, making that timeless music. And it kind of makes me wonder, do you feel that either the artists themselves who are being true to what they do doesn't exist anymore, or is it the fact that music as an art form has kind of become devalued? Um, I don't know if it's either. I just think people don't – people of the younger generation, I think, have they, – they don't know how to make music for themselves. They think you're, you have to make music for the fans. They've gone on this high horse where it's like, we're doing a service for people. We are providing a service. And you got to, you've got to be loyal to the fans, and you got to do what the fans want. No, fuck them, dude. <laughs> I don't <laughs> care. Like, if, I, if the next album, if nobody buys it, I, I don't care because I will have had the time of my life making it, making some songs that I'm incredibly proud of, that I'm in love with, and that I can carry and listen to for the rest of my life. That's why I do this. I do this for the love of the art and for the love of the craft and for the love of the music, not for the, the validation from other people than liking it, which is why it's always ridiculous when people claim sell out or <laughs> that I'll, I'll move to whatever genre is going to make me more money. Like, it, it's literally, like, it, that is the furthest from me imaginable. Like, yeah, I love money, but I've got plenty of other ways of making money. I don't need to do music. This is... This is my life. I think speaking to more of the business side of things, something that is always kind of uh, I've enjoyed between you and the rest of your bandmates in asking actually, but more so I'll focus it on you, is just kind of your your very tongue-in-cheek, don't-give-a-fuck attitude to the music industry. Uh, I mean, you look at you know the bad ha- the best of bad habits video or best bad habit video, and I just feel like it's like you know it's it's very over the top. I mean the guitar solo where you just have a guitar out of nowhere while you're cooking a steak, and then it's like you watch this video. Spoiler alert, I guess. Uh, you know you feed it to your dog, and I was like, 
Huh. Yeah. You know, it almost seems like you're cooking for a significant other, and then it's the reveal is it's for a dog who just, you know, devours it in like two seconds. Um, you know, which I kind of maybe was like, oh, maybe there's some more uh, illusions there than maybe most people would pick up on, or maybe I'm overthinking it, but... No, you're definitely overthinking it. I came up with that music video idea 24 hours before we filmed it, 36 hours before we re- before we released it. Um, I told the label I wanted to re- release a video the same day that the tour dates went up, and they're like, "We haven't filmed a video. You have time to film a video." I was like, "Give me a thousand dollars. I'll film it. I'll film it." They're like, "Thousand dollars done? <laughs> you guess the cheapest video you've ever done?" <laughs> I was like, "Cool." So I I, I called a. A, a a videographer who lives kind of close to me. He drove down, and I was like, I was like, let's, it was originally just gonna be like a performance thing, just me against white wall, just playing and thing. And then I was like, I don't know. I feel like everybody's done that. I was like, let's just do something so me, and I'll just cook steaks. And the original plan was, I was just gonna eat it afterwards. But like that ASMR stuff, where it's like mic'd up super close, and you just hear me loudly eating, and it'd be really gross. Um, and then I was like, I was like, cause that'd be hilarious. Like there's just the people are watching this video and they're all stoked. And then they have to sit through seven minutes of me crazy, <laughs> like loud, gross, eating this steak, just like with my hands, just like, yeah, just gross. And then I was like, actually, I might be the only person to find that funny. Um, so then I was going to have Victoria do it. And, um, she kind of looked at me right away. Like, do not involve me in your stupid plans. <laughs> <laughs> So then, then it was the dog, and it was it, it was gonna be cowboy who's like my dude, but that morning he decided to jump in the lake out back of our house, so he was off with the he was off with the groomers, and he got no steak. <laughs> oh, I almost thought it was maybe like a very tongue in cheek thing of like you know you spent we spend as the artist spend all this time making something for you, and then it's just devoured in two seconds, and then you kind of have the look of like I want more, and so I kind of no, I know that's like that way, the, looking that, way that, too much into it, but yeah. That is a that is, an, that is a beautiful way to look at it, but yeah, there was. <laughs> I'm not that profound. Well, because I even was trying to tie it into this the song song title with "Best of Bad Habits," so it's like okay, like you enjoy making music, but it becomes a product, and people are just so quick to take it all in and then go, okay, now I want another one. Where's the next one? Where's the next I'm, one? So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna start telling people that that's what it was. Okay, it was a metaphor for that. <laughs> I'm gonna start that I'm stealing that. Because people will take, they take me way more seriously as an artist. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, but no, you know, kind of speaking to that, though, and kind of even going to, you know, your recent uh, Asking uh, single, which is charting right now with Vultures. Number nine, as of today. There you go, in the top ten officially. And it just kind of makes me wonder, you know, does a lot of the things you do, because it seems you, we've, the kind of theme running through is that you do things because you want to do them, they make you happy, it's what you're passionate about. Does kind of traversing the music industry and the music landscape the way you are, does that does that end up kind of pissing people off in the industry? Like, are you experiencing any backlash as a result of, like, you just kind of being like, fuck it, I'm going to do what I want when I want to do it, and if you don't like it, fuck you, I don't care. I did for a really short time, and it was very short-lived. So, like, people were stoked at first when I started talking about it, and then when I started doing it and it really and it started making some noise, people started get, getting pissed and being like, oh, well, you can't do that. And then coming up reasons why not, and I, and I just I don't I don't listen to them. Um, so it it got to a point where people kind of just had to accept that I was doing it. And then with this album, people have really embraced it, and uh, it's kind of been the big turnaround where everyone has just not only accepted it but they're embracing it now. And I think it's kind of it's in, I think it's inspiring some people. I have a lot of artists and peers 
talking to me now about them wanting to do something um, like like by themselves and explore new sounds and doing new things. And I'm glad I'm able to be some kind of inspiration or um, caveat to their exploration of the artistry. Uh, if, I mean, if, if nothing else, I've achieved that and hopefully brought some more good music in as well. I think the one thing it definitely seems to have done for you, not saying that like it never was this way, but it seems that it's created more honest music out of you, uh, personally. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think it, well, because it, 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 it took me, writing The Long Run Home took me to places that I've never gone before. And I got, I was able to bring that to the Aston Alexandria records. And I was able to bring it into this record. And moving forward, everything I've been working on since, and I mean, I, I recorded Shades of Blue like a year and a half, two years ago. So I've, I've made a lot of music. I wrote, I wrote and recorded this before I ever speaking to Asking Alexandria again, let alone getting back together. Um, so I've always, I've always, I've been working a lot, and I have a massive a wealth of material where it's even further just being super open. And I mean, I think that's the nature of the blues, where it's you have to be real, otherwise. It sounds dumb. It sounds like shit. People, 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 people see through you so fast. Like you can, you can sing anything you want of like hard rock, metal music. Like you can sing the most generic bullshit and get away with it. But when you when you break it down to like the blues and stuff, you have to mean it. Otherwise, it's super wrong. Well, I think that's the reason why I was kind of focusing more on the fact that this record seems like it was just solely based on piano, like the most bare minimum arrangements, because I think yeah. there's more sincerity and honesty in the approach to that, because you can't hide behind anything else because it's just you and a voice or the, the music and the voice at that point. And that was definitely the idea, especially with some of the songs like up and down it was originally um, like a big band funk number, uh, kind of James Brown, super upbeat, positive sounding, um, super high register. And, I dropped the key, dropped it, dropped it an octave, brought, took away all the instrumentation, threw it in, threw it in minor, and it sounded beautiful. So we just we went with that, and it was it, it it really gave the song an entirely different dynamic that wasn't there before. It's funny how doing something so minute as just changing a key can completely change the the tone of a oh, song yeah. like that. Absolutely. You know, I kind of wanted to speak on two things. Uh, one is a little bit controversial, and the other one is just a fun thing that I, I wanted to ask because of the situation I'm in. So I'll ask the controversial thing first. Um, you posted a thing uh, on your Facebook page about basically people taking in shows through their cell phones. Um, yeah. Over the last handful of years, there's been plenty of people, uh, Rob Halford as of today, uh, videos posting everywhere of him kicking that person's cell phone out of, his, of their hands. And... You know, it's even gotten to the point where, like, Aaron Lewis, uh, who, you know, has kind of done the solo country thing as well, where he'll literally just stop the show because people aren't respecting him trying to talk or perform. And it kind of made me wonder, you know, are we just kind of getting to do – is this obnoxious, entitled fandom going to go away because more people are going to kind of want the experiences like we used, most of us used to have before technology existed? Or do you think it's going to get worse? I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Okay. I think there's both there's there's opportunity within it that I think will then create a better environment. Um, and when I say opportunity, I, I mean from like a business and a creative standpoint, to where I think it's going to get to a point where artists kind of don't really perform. 
they'll do more streaming to okay. where they'll be like a, they'll have a studio and they'll do like a concert every month or couple of weeks or something and there'll be videos and they'll be wired into the sound and people will pay from home to watch it. I think we're going to get to that point before people then, and then there'll be like a big artist who's like, I'm doing a tour the old school way, coming out, and then everyone will be back here. But I think it's going to get worse and worse and worse, and then move to almost exclusively digital before the old experience of going to concerts because you love concerts and you're there to watch music, not to um, get things from the artist that you feel like you deserve. Because you're right, there is a very overly entitled mindset. Like, if I'm, if I'm leaving the venue, going to the bus, even if it's right after I've done, uh, like, a meet and greet or something, and there'll be someone, someone to walk by, or even if I'm walking through the venue from doing the meet and greet to go smell, someone who didn't go to the meet and greet will be like, oh, can I get a picture? Can you sign it? It's like, you should have literally just paid for that. Right. You can't, in front of them, expect me to do for you for free what, I just, what they just paid for. Like, that's very unfair, and it would be wrong of me and like my mean greets aren't just like hey we'll take a picture and sign stuff but it's 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 still the thing of i can't give you free what i i just what these people just paid for right in front of them yeah yeah and it's people people expect a lot and they they feel like they deserve it for who knows what fucking reason because i have this really important message that i try and put out kind of semi-often, and it sounds harsh, but it's, I think it's something that a lot of people need to hear sometimes, like, you're not important. Yeah. You're not. Like, to some people in your circle, you are, and you're very important to them. But, like, you can't walk around treating, like, having everyone treat you like you're super fucking important. They don't know you. They don't care about you. Like, you won't, like, you're not to them. I think it's good that everybody knows that from time to time because it stops everyone feeling entitled and like they deserve special treatment because we don't. Everyone deserves to be treated well. Everyone deserves to be treated with respect. But no one deserves special treatment just because they're fucking there. Right. I mean, that's... It's easy for them to be like, come on, it's, it's just one picture. It's like, it's not. Because it's one picture for you, but that person makes you feel special too. It's everybody. So, coincidentally enough, you are a very busy man um, with the Idiots yep. podcast, writing, producing, yep. recording, all the businesses that you have, asking Alexandria, this band. Something I did recently was I quit my 9 to 5 to focus on the podcast and try to make it succeed. Uh, I am okay. married, have been married. Thank you. Uh, I've been with my wife now for almost three years, been together almost 10. And something that I've been asking people who are very much in this position but have been on a way bigger scale and for a lot longer – how do you find time to balance personal and work when you are so goal and work oriented? With great difficulty. And it comes <laughs> with a lot of sacrifice. Um, I mean, we dealt with this earlier on in this tour where I took, I took on so much, especially with this tour, because I booked it myself. We, like, within, within the company, booked it. Um, we organized everything. I was tour manager. Uh, I, I did everything. And it was a lot. And... I loved the challenge. And I loved the um, the learning experience, but it did take me away from home time. 
and it took it it, it took us getting to a, a kind of a breaking point where it was like you can't do this and I had to kind of let go of the reins a bit I've employed some more people who can take that weight off me I've proved I can do it now to myself and to people who may say um, and, and now I can step back let them do what they do and I move forward. I mean, I, I feel like I'm relatively good at spreading my time out right and delegating when possible. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in do as much as you can until you find someone who can do something better than you and then give that job to them because they're better at it than you. And they can do it better than you, so they're going to bring in more money and will pay for themselves. Right. Um, so it's a, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of finding the right people. And I have an incredible team and uh, an incredible group of people within the company who I trust and who I can rely on to do the job right so that I can take time away. But it is, it is, it is difficult. I, I mean, I understand the question, and I, it's a really difficult one to answer because I am a workaholic, and I still have issues with it. But, um, yeah, I, I wish there was a simple answer. No, no, I, I understand that. It's just, you know, it's something for me where it's kind of like a, like a Tony Robbins type thing where it's like, okay, ask these people who are successful because of their yeah. determination and drive and work ethic, but who also are able to maintain their personal relationships from the outward looking in, at least, uh, yeah. and try to gleam something from them, not only for myself, but maybe for someone who's listening who's also doing it maybe in a completely different facet of something. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm actually, I started putting it together today. I'm, I'm about to work, I'm working on a new program that um, is going to come out. It's, I don't know how I would describe it. It's, it's something of a mentorship thing, but it isn't. Um, it's, it's, it's going to be a place where people can ask me questions and I can teach what I've learned and then have a community of people who, as everyone grows, can share what they're learning and having people from all different industries and all different facets of business. So sort of like the, the master class programs that they're offering? Yeah, kind okay. of. Okay. Kind, kind of, but it's going to be interactive. Okay. It's like it's, it's going to be to where it's not just pre-made videos of me it'll be a thing where it's like it's like we have sessions where we sit and talk okay. and it can be like you can ask me questions you can show me what you've been doing and i can give feedback things like that okay well that was uh that was all i had for you uh where can people find you uh and or the band and what does the rest of uh 2019 hold for probably the busiest man i know uh if you go to dannywarsnop.net there'll be links to absolutely everything um the rest of 2019, I get off tour today. I, did, I took two days off all month, one of which was to drive for 28 hours to another show, and then one of which I flew to Oklahoma to play an asking show. Um, we finished in this tour one, uh, one day earlier than it was supposed to be because I leave the, the last day of my tour to fly out to an asking festival tomorrow in Chicago. And then after that... I have four days off. I'll be then. Then I, I fly to Wichita. I'm doing a free concert in Wichita, um, and then I got a couple of days off. Fly to Phoenix. I've got some studio work to do. 
I cannot disclose any information on that. But the fact I'm going to Phoenix to do it should set off some alarm bells for uh, some anyone who pays much attention to the reason I usually go to Phoenix. <laughs> um, and then from there, after Alexandria Tall with Papa Roach and Bad Wolves, then what's after that? Oh, then we have the Drinking Bros Cruise, the Drinking Bros Podcast. Um, for anyone aware, uh, great podcast. It's a part of Black Rifle Coffee and Article 15 Clothing and Let's Things Whiskey. We've partnered with Carnival Cruise Liners. We have a cruise going out this September, um, the 11th to the 16th, I think it's 12th to the 16th, um, leaving from Galveston, Texas. Uh, people can go to drinkinbros.com with uh, no G, just drinkinbros.com. Uh, it's going to be an amazing time on there. We're going to do live, uh, live recordings of the podcast, uh, special events, and uh, I'll be performing also. The day I get back on land, I get on a plane, we leave with Shinedown, Papa Roach, and oh, I can't remember the opening band. I'm an asshole. We got them, and then after that, we're working on another Danny Walsnop tour. Then I take some time off, and then I fly to New Zealand to get married on top of a mountain. And that is December. There you go. Well, looking forward to uh, the two opportunities I'll have to see you here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, maybe we'll have to do another one in person, drink some uh, some delicious beers or cocktails or something, and uh, awesome. do it. And uh, thanks for your time. Great. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. So that was my conversation with Danny Warsnop uh, of himself uh, for this interview, but also of Asking Alexandria. Dan, you know, you, you had something to say there at the end of the intro, so uh, let's go ahead and get to it. Uh, I guess, how did you take the whole thing that uh, not everyone is important or special? Actually, I believe in that 100%. I did too. I mean, I was just talking uh, literally last night. It was like the middle of the night, and I think he wanted to go to bed, and I kept messaging him. But uh, Lauren Kozlowski from the Rose Coach podcast, we were talking about this, and I was like, you know, the greatest advice anybody ever gave me was that I'm not special. And that's not even necessarily a knock towards me or, or anybody else. It's literally just you can you can still do cool things and be successful on your own, but if you don't believe that you're super special – then you can kind of just live your life and you don't have to try to live up to this weird image that you've created for yourself. So that's that's my interpretation of that. I'm not sure if that's exactly what he meant. I definitely think it is. I, I kind of took it, especially, you know, listening back to it again when I was editing the episode, like leveling it out and all that kind of stuff. And I, I kind of took it more to the fact of, you know... We're in this because I had mentioned, you know, are we, you know, fans feel like they're entitled to things. Like they feel like because they bought a concert ticket or because they bought, you know, these things, they, they own you basically. And I, and it didn't really articulate it that well, but you know, that's, that's kind of the gist of what I was saying. And it's like, you know, people go to a concert, they buy a ticket. So they feel like, oh, well, I should be able to record it all on my phone and have my phone up the entire time. Well, yeah. I suppose if that's what you want to do, cool. But you also have to realize you're not the only fucking person in the room and there's someone behind you that maybe can't see over you. And especially now that you got your phone over your head because you're looking at it too. And it's like a lot of times like when I take photos or videos, I always make sure and wait for someone in front of me to take one. And then I purposely zoom in onto what they're videoing because I think that's fucking funny. Like I'm not filming anything else. I'm filming what you're filming through your camera because that's basically the equivalent of what you're doing anyway. Like you're seeing it, but then you're going to put it onto this tiny little fucking device or whatever. But it just seems like people are so – we just live in this world of entitlement. Like you know when I, I grew – when I went out to Ann Arbor, which is a major college town, you know, it's one of the Big Ten schools. It's one of the major colleges in, in the U.S. And it was like pulling teeth to get fucking kids to come work at a like a, a pseudo fast food job. 
And, like, you'd have people show up, and then, like, as soon as they, like, you'd be like, oh, you got to work on the front. Oh, I don't want to do that. And it's like, well, no, you have to. Like, this is your job. This is what the job entails. You you signed an application. You filled out an application. We did the interview, and you basically signed off that you could perform the basic functions of the job, which is this. No, well, I don't want to do that. And, like, the, like, I would just see people just quit, like, on a whim. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, I just feel like there's this weird sense of entitlement going around not just, you know, in going to concerts, but in life. Like, people have this weird sense of entitlement. Like, they're owed the best job without doing anything or earning it. They're owed all these things. And it's like, who the fuck gave you this sense of entitlement? You haven't earned shit. And I wholeheartedly believe that. And I think that applies to the fact that that also goes to what Danny's saying. Just because, like, I just came out of a venue where people paid their hard-earned money to come see me do a VIP meet and greet because they felt it was worth it to them. And you're just standing outside of a building and I'm supposed to give you what they just paid for free. Yeah. That kind of makes him look like an asshole, but it makes it, it makes him me to me. It makes him value more of what the people paid their money for, which is to have that experience with him. It doesn't mean one person's better or not. It just means that there is an emphasis on value. And that by taking the photo for you and then the next person who comes in and then the next person who comes up, that's devaluing what people just paid all their fucking money for to get that experience. And I, I've i seen people get super shitty about that. And it's like, then fucking pony up the money. If you care that much, I don't care if you've been there 10 hours. Pay the money. Well, to avoid going into a get-off-my-lawn kind of... Uh... Oh, we're on the lawn. We're in the backyard. We're on our neighbor's lawn. We're streaking, man. We're going full out with this. Well, here's the thing. I understand that aspect of it. Like, I'm not going to take a picture with you because I took pictures with people and that was part of their meet and greet. However, obviously there was more to the meet and greet than, hey, let's snap a selfie here together. Just so everybody on my Facebook or Instagram can find out that, you know, I was with you at this place or whatever. Even though that in itself is kind of a deception, you know, you take a, you take a, a, selfie with somebody and it kind of creates the impression of like because how many people go home and they're like oh yeah we're friends now you know and and all this weird stuff i don't know that's a whole different part of it but uh if we're talking about the horribleness of human behavior that is definitely part of it however if your meet and greet really just boils down to you know somebody took a selfie with me and then moved on to the next person in line um you need to really step it up in your meet and greet department uh that's that's not really much you know, at all. And that's, that's probably just my entitlement talking. The thing is, is that I don't feel like that's a great value. So like just to get a picture with somebody, especially not to the point where the artist themselves feels like them taking five seconds out to take a selfie with a fan outside of a show is somehow like ripping off all of the people that made, like I understand where he's coming from, but I don't necessarily agree with it. If it were me, I'd probably just take the selfie and whatever. Because more than likely, if I did do a good meet and greet with a bunch of fans uh, prior to the show, then those guys are probably all satisfied anyway. I'm probably not going to get a bunch of hate mail because somebody saw on Bobby's Facebook that he took a picture with me outside of a show once, and I paid for the meet and greet. And you know, I don't think that it's fair. Like, I don't think anybody out there is saying that. Mm. I've seen. I've, I have seen those comments both ways. Um... So, I mean, it, it's it's a fine line. I was actually more interested in, you know, we haven't even discussed this at all, your thoughts on the live concert experience, like how he kind of thought that that was going to start potentially going. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, indirectly, like Emery's kind of proving that concept, and a lot of these other bands doing similar things are kind of proving that concept is actually a viable option, potentially. 
Yeah, no, I think I think that's just smart market research. It, you know, I think that people are. Would you watch it? Would you watch a Zayo like if they stopped touring and they just did like maybe once a month did a live set thing or whatever like a three like two hour they play songs they do maybe like answer some questions on Facebook Live or whatever but you paid ten bucks would you do that? Yeah, absolutely. No, no doubt about it. Like, and that more or less is what it's, what it's like now with Zayo anyway. But uh, <laughs> well, because they don't tour, you know, they're not on tour all the time. They're you know they'll they'll do like three or four dates, you know, per season. I'm noticing, and that that seems to be enough. But yeah, they don't they probably they don't really do the meet and greet. Well, they this is a perfect example to bring up. Okay, so Zayo doesn't have a meet doesn't do a, a paid meet and greet or anything before or after the show. Um, but like those guys are super. And granted, maybe they were never you know on the same popularity level as in asking Alexandria. You know, um, which is a, a horrible travesty I want to put on the record officially. Uh, but those guys are all super duper approachable in the sense that after the show is over, because I remember like I, you know, like I already, I, you know, the last three or four times I've seen the band, I've already had them on my podcast or whatever. So like, I don't actually, I actually get less of an experience with them than the fans do in that I, cause I remember I brought my, um, well-intentioned virus uh vinyl sleeve with me to have all the band members sign it because i'm still a fanboy first and foremost and uh but no i mean i remember standing there having to wait for them because they'd have like a line of people up to each band member just chatting and chatting and chatting and chatting and they took such an amount of time even though they were out of town they probably wanted to leave they probably were hungry you know tired after playing a show um they sat there and gave every single fan their day in the sun with zeo and then me, the podcaster fanboy, you know, I had to wait until the very end of all of that, you know, to be like, hey, uh, you guys want to sign this? They're like, yeah, it's cool. You know, I got to shake hands with everybody. How you doing? Great. When are we going to do the podcast again? Sometime soon. Okay, great. Wonderful. See you later. Bye-bye. You know, and so I think I, I think that's the biggest difference in how artists approach things. I think maybe with Zayo, it's a little bit different in the sense that they're just happy to have the fan base that they have. And they just cater to that fan base. Whereas I think with Danny, it's more of like, a, this is a business. This is how I make my living. None of the guys in Zayo like live off of Zayo, you know. So I, I think I think the approach is different whenever it's like your paycheck. And so I can kind of agree with Danny in the sense that like, you know, I, uh, as I've said multiple times, you know, I, I do repair work. I do repair work on garage doors for people. But it would it, it is kind of frustrating when you know I make a certain amount of money per job that I do at my normal job, and then a friend or family member will call me and be like, "Hey, can you come over and look at this?" And then you come over and look at it, and you repair it, or you do whatever it is you need to do, and then they're all like, "Oh, well, you're not going to charge me." It's like, well, you know, this is what I do for a living, you know, so. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm going to charge you. Maybe if you're a family member, I'm not going to charge you as much as I would charge somebody else. So, like, like if you if you take the entertainment quality out of it, you know, all that stuff about entitlement and all of that stuff about, about people getting ripped off if you do something for free, you're ripping off the people that you did charge. Uh, I, I could definitely see it from that perspective, but I definitely think as a podcaster or, you know, somebody that's been in a band or whatever – 
my approach has always been more of a, I'm just stoked that you, that you're listening to me, you know, and that you think, yeah. And that you think that my band is cool, you know, or you think that my show's cool or whatever, uh, you know, I don't get, I don't get upset about it. You know, like we mentioned in another podcast about, you know, it's, it's weird now doing the show. And now that there's hundreds of hours of me and John talking to each other, or there's hundreds of hours on, you know, of me talking about music on discography discussion. And, you know, the people that I do meet locally that listen to the show kind of approach me in a manner of kind of like what we were talking about in the intro approach me in a manner of like, Oh, I already know you because I've been listening to you talk for hours and hours and hours and hours. But my approach is still just one of those like, Oh my God, you listen to my stuff, (laughs) you know? So I guess I guess maybe if I was on the same level that that Danny is on, maybe I I I would feel the way he feels. So I guess that's just my ult- it took me a long time to get here, but ultimately what I'm trying to say is that while I understand why he feels that way, that's just that's not the approach probably that I would take and I don't think it's a good PR approach. Yeah. Uh, speaking of PR, we'll we'll kind of see if anything from this ends up on anything. I I could see maybe the uh, news of him unofficially saying that he's going to Arizona to record the new Asking record, unofficially. Uh, I could see that being on there, and you know, obviously the the thing that we've been talking about now for like over ten minutes. Um, but no, I I I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I was kind of not sure how it was going to go. Um, even the few interviews I've heard him do have been with people he's toured with so i mean it's a little bit hard to kind of gauge how he really is but i i thoroughly enjoyed it i would i would definitely love to talk to him again asking alexandria is coming through twice uh through town here and i would love to do it in person and actually talk more about asking alexandria stuff as opposed to to this because i think they have a very interesting uh story uh from where they started to where they are now and all the other other shit going all the other shit going on inside of that. So uh, hopefully we can maybe do another another round with Danny and kind of focus more on asking. But uh, speaking of Danny, if you'd like to keep up with everything that's going on with him, uh, it's real fucking simple. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Danny Warsnop. Uh, if that's too hard for you or you need more, uh, go to DannyWarsnop.com and uh, you can get everything you need there. Uh, if you'd like to keep up with Metal Nexus, MetalNexus.net, Facebook at Metal Nexus, Instagram at Metal.Nexus, Twitter at Metal underscore Nexus, and Dan's going to tell you where he can be found on the interwebs. Yeah, I can be found at Discuss the Metal Dan on Twitter. I can be found on Facebook under Daniel Terry. And I can be found on Gmail at DiscussMetalDan at gmail.com. You can find my other podcast, Discography Discussion, at DiscussMetal.com. And if you would like to keep up with all things this podcast, simple enough, like Danny Warsnop. We are simply under Brew Speak Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Email us at brutallyspeaking at gmail.com. And keep up with our show sponsor, The Bean Bastard, over at thebeanbastard.com. Bean Bastard on Facebook and Instagram. And if you would like to also be a sponsor, email us. We, uh, we'll, we'll take your money and plug your stuff. Uh, we like a lot of things, so let's make that happen. And, uh, yeah, so for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John. And I am Dan. And we will talk to you all next time.